heart was kind of disturbed. Uh, it doesn't mean that there was anything wrong. Nothing went wrong. It's just my heart was not 100% ready for what I was going to go through. And I remember uh, it took about two hours um, before I could go in because I, I ate something and I wasn't supposed to eat. And um, so I was lying in theater for about an hour and a half. And as I was lying in theater, knowing that just now I'm going to be knocked out, you know, um, I'm going to sleep, and then uh, they're going to do the procedure. But they, before the time, that's what uh, specialists do, is they tell you about all the stuff that can go wrong, because they have to, apparently, so that you can sign on the dotted line that when those things happen, they, they happen, because it's un sometimes it happens. So as I was lying there, I was thinking to myself, if I did not have Christ as Lord and Savior, how would I go into this right now? And then I thought to myself, but assurance of salvation, because I can go into this operation now, or this, this procedure, and yet not be 100% sure that if I die, I will be with Christ. And I can remember how I was just lying on my, you know, flat on my, well, on my side at that specific stage. And I remember quoting 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, where the apostle says, I write these things to you so that, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, those who believe in the name of the Son of God. And, and it's John saying to us, I write this so that you may know not have a hint or, or an idea and hope that you are saved. Hope that you will have eternal life when you pass from this life into eternal life. But that we may know. And it is amazing how just lying with these thoughts in my mind um, just brought so much peace. You know, it just became so calm around me. And you see the nurses or the you know, the nurses running up and down and the doctors and uh, whatever, because it's quite busy. And, uh, and I'm lying there at peace. And I realized, you know what? The reason why I'm at peace is because there was a time in my life when I accepted what God's Word had to say about salvation. There was a day in my life where I accepted that God's Word is true. There's a day in my life when, obviously, God gave me the gift of regeneration. and eh? He gave me the rebirth. And He made me a brand new person. But it's all based on what He says in His Word. He's the one who said that He was going to do it, and He does it. And He does an excellent job when He saves a person. And this is what Ephesians 2 is all about. Ephesians 2, 2 Colossians chapter 2, maybe some of the, the passages in the Bible that is the strongest on salvation that we have right through the Scripture. We have a lot of verses, but as a combination of explaining to us what happened in the past and then to explain to us what happened uh, to us when we are saved and then to then also tell us what is God's reason for saving us. All in ten verses. Absolutely amazing. So this morning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, I want to, us to just be reminded again of, it's not me wanting to remind, it's God through His Word reminding us, reminding you and me of this amazing thing that he has done in us, this amazing miracle of the rebirth in the first place, but also this amazing salvation that we have received from God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Absolutely amazing. Now in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, remember last week when we looked at it, we basically saw the condition of the unsaved. And it's actually a disturbing condition because the Scripture teaches us specifically verse 5, but verse 1, basically, the implication is already there that those who are not in Christ, those who are not saved, are dead in their trespasses and their sins. 
They walk in accordance to this world and they walk in accordance to the devil. They follow the devil. The devil is their father. And they fulfill the desires of the flesh and of their mind. And we can actually say, as Paul says it right here in our text, that the unsaved are truly sons of disobedience and children of wrath. And the reason why they're disobedient to God in doing what God wants them to do, and they are children of wrath because they continue to persist in their sin, their unholiness and their unrighteousness in the sight of a holy God. And it's inevitable that God's wrath will come down upon them at one, some other stage because of their unbelief, because of their refusal to do what God wants them to do. You see, beloved, God is the only one who can do the impossible. And He does the impossible in the lives of the unsaved. As we said last week, He brings those who are dead in trespasses and sins, He brings them to life. A miracle takes place in people's lives. And if you are saved today, the miracle has taken place in your life. You have been brought from death to life. And that by the Spirit of God, you had nothing to do with it. You were as dead as you can be. I was as dead as I could be when God brought me to life. Beloved, once a sinner is made alive, only then is that sinner able to see their own sin and then to repent of that sin, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. And I believe that's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, when we take these verses and work through them, kind of verse by verse, we've already looked at verses 1 to 3. God willing, today we're going to look at verse 4 to 10, and then God willing, next week. We're going to look only at verse 10 because I would like us to focus in on that verse, an amazing verse. It speaks about the fact that we are His workmanship, no? created in Christ Jesus unto good works. An amazing text. So this morning we're going to work through the verses and I'm going to read it, but I'm not going to read the whole text. It was already read this morning, uh, but we're going to read it as we continue. So please keep your Bibles open. As we just take a, a few moments to, to, to ponder upon our salvation to think about it you know that act of being saved by grace through faith in Christ so amazing because for our salvation to, to really be something to, to be really, really be true it involves quite a few things and what the Apostle Paul does is he actually explains to us those things that are involved in our salvation what what is involved in us being saved by grace through faith in Christ? And the five solas is so beautiful when it says now that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Now, so beautiful. Because there's no other way to be saved but through Christ, faith in Him. All right, before we continue, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to come to you this morning, knowing that you have saved us. You have done this miraculous work in us when you saved us and brought us from death to life. When you gave us the new birth, you gave us life, and this life more abundantly, and that even if we die, we will live forever in your presence. Oh, Father, what a a blessing it is and something to look forward to. We are so grateful. We are so grateful, so thankful for your word and, and specifically as we read Ephesians chapter 2 this morning or work our way through Ephesians chapter 2, I pray, Father, that you will open up our hearts to receive your word and our minds to understand your word so that we can really walk out of this auditorium with a heart filled with thanksgiving for what you have done for us, but at the same time that we will be able to, to share the good news of the gospel because we want other people 
to experience the same thing. So, Father, please enable me as your servant to teach your people so that you may be glorified. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, beloved, first salvation involves, let's call it the great love, what Paul speaks about now, the great love of God. We see this in verse 4. Let's just read it. Salvation involves the great love of God. Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. See those words? He's actually saying two things there, but look at those words. His great love. It's because of his great love. Because the, our salvation, it involves God's great love. Without God's love, there will be no salvation. It is God's love who basically moved him to save sinners that are wretched like us. Remember the, the verse that is so well known, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because of God's great love. It is God's sacrificial love. And you know that agape love, now the word agape in, in the Greek, that word means it is sacrificial love. That's God's kind of love. And, and by the way, Scripture doesn't teach us that God loves us. Ne? In that sense, the Scripture teaches us that God is love. He is the essence of love. If you know God, you know love. If you know love, you know God. For God is love. Obviously, He loves us. His great love is what moved Him to save sinners, wretched sinners that are enemies of the Almighty God, who hates Him, wants nothing to do with Him. But it's His love that moves Him to save sinners as wretched as we are. Now, beloved, it's important for us to understand that from God's great love, he's from His amazing love, everything else flows with regards to our salvation. I see that in our verse, it speaks about mercy first, no? and then it speaks about love. But because God is love, it is something that is in the nature of God. It is not something that is added to God. God is love. And it's interesting that God's love, that love that moved Him to save sinners as wretched as we are, is totally dependent on Him. It is not as if there is something or someone else that moves God to start acting in a certain way. It is something that is inerrant to who God is. It is in His nature. And that's why He moved Himself to look at sinners and to have mercy on them and to save them from the destruction of sin and then reconcile them to himself, declare them righteous, cleanse them. Just amazing what God does for sinners because of his great love for us. And beloved, God doesn't love us because we are lovable. That's not true. God doesn't love us because we are lovable. God doesn't love us because we loved Him first. God doesn't love us because of the things that we do or the fact that we think we're good enough. No, God loves us because He is love. And by the way, God is the source of perfect love. And I'm talking about perfect love. If we read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I've said it before, I just want to say it again. That if you read 1 Corinthians 13, 
speaking about agape love, no? speaking about sacrificial love. Beloved, if we expect people to live in accordance to agape love in a marriage relationship, because people love to preach from it when people are getting married, it is beyond us to be able to do that. We are speaking about God's love that is poured out in us through the Holy Spirit when God saves us. But it's God's love who, who moves us. He's the source of perfect love. So we see in our 10 verses, well, from verse 4 to verse 10, we see that salvation involves the love of God. Without the love of God, there will be no salvation. We can say that God's love, God's sacrificial love, is foundational to our salvation. And it's an amazing foundation that God has put in place. Second, we see in our passage that love, or I mean salvation, sorry, it involves God's rich mercy. Look at verse 4 again. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us. No? It speaks about God who is rich in mercy. Now, if we look at that, we say, we should ask ourselves the question immediately, what is this mercy that we are reading about? Now, the word in the Greek is the, the word uh, ilios, and it's defined in the Vines Expository Dictionary as the outward manifestation of pity. It, it is basically, a, how can I say, the compassion that someone has for those in trouble. That's what mercy is. And, and what do we see in God? We see His compassion for a people that are lost in their sin and their transgression. We see His compassion as God is the one after Adam and Eve sinned against Him. Remember in the Garden of Eden? It was God who came to Adam and Eve. It was God who came to speak to them. It was God who came and had fellowship with Adam and Eve. And when they hid themselves from him, he was the one who reached out. Where are you? Pastor Brian Darrell uh, gave me this simple explanation. I've, I've shared it with you before. I just want to share it again because it got stuck in my mind in such a way that it's such a, a simple explanation of a very difficult word. And, and Pastor Brian said that mercy is not to receive what we deserve. That's God's mercy at display. Not to receive what we deserve. Beloved, we deserve the punishment of death for our sin, isn't it? The wages of sin is death. We are supposed to all die, be dead. We are supposed to come under God's wrath. God is supposed to judge us and destroy us. But God doesn't do it. Instead, Jesus Christ becomes flesh through the Virgin Mary. He dwells on this earth, he has a public ministry, and he dies. He is buried, and he rises from the dead. We, we f find the incarnation where God becomes flesh, dwells among us, dies, and takes the punishment for our sin upon himself. We deserve that punishment. And it's a good thing for us to, every now and then, just sit down and remember. We deserve the punishment that comes to every single sinner. We deserve it. But it's because of God's mercy. In fact, the richness of His mercy. That basically causes us not to receive what we deserve. 
But instead, we receive God's forgiveness. We receive the gift of eternal life. We receive uh, salvation. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and guides us and leads us and directs us. We receive salvation. And that is, by the way, grace. That is to receive what we do not deserve. We do not deserve eternal life. We do not deserve to be saved. We do not deserve to be new people. We do not deserve to be born again. But God is so full of grace, so full of mercy, that he doesn't give us what we deserve. But he gives us what we do not deserve. So we've seen that salvation involves the love of God in our passage, but it also includes God's mercy. It's not excluded now. God's mercy is included. So for us to be saved, for us to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, it involves God's love and God's mercy. Without it, there is no salvation. None whatsoever. And then thirdly, we see that salvation in involves being made alive together with Christ. And this is in verse 5, where we read, Even when we were dead in trespasses, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ah, oh, what a verse. And, and that verse just connects to verse 1 anyway, where it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive. In, the new, in, in uh, King James it says we've been quickened eh, by the Holy Spirit. We've been made alive. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely amazing. We touched on it already last week, so I'm not going to go into detail. But we can say that this is basically where God's grace enters in. Where God saves people without them deserving to be saved. People who are dead in trespasses and sins. God enters in and He rises them or raises them from the dead. He gives them a new life. His Holy Spirit comes and indwells them. He seals them for eternity. Absolutely amazing. You see, Paul says, when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive. As I said last week, it takes a miracle. And um, while we were dead in trespasses, that's when God acted. And, and we can say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then. That's what Scripture teaches us. And that's God's mercy and His love and His grace and His, His, His compassion, everything at display. God doesn't have to do it. God owes us nothing. Even though we are the highest point of His creation, we are the pivotal point of His creation, created in God's image. But God owes us nothing. He does it because He is God. And that's the amazing thing about the God we worship and who He is. Right, so we've seen that salvation involves the love of God. It also includes God's mercy. And it also involves being made alive together with Christ. And then fourth, salvation involves being raised up together with Christ. Look at verse 6 and 7. To be raised together with Christ. It says, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is spiritual speak. Uh, speak nah? it's, this is spiritually speaking. Because the moment God saves us, in a sense, we are already with Christ in heavenly places. That's what God does for us. He already secured a place for us in heaven with Christ. In Christ, because of Christ. 
It's the amazing thing that God does. And then he says in verse 7, that in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what he does is God comes and he basically establishes us in heaven already. It's as if we are in heaven. It's as if we have been resurrected and we've been taken into heaven and we are with Christ in heaven. And in the ages to come, as we die and as we are taken into heaven, what's going to happen is we will see how great His mercy is because we're going to find people in heaven who has been resurrected and taken into heaven because of His grace. And chances are, if God would reveal it to us, we're going to find people in heaven that we never expected to be there. But the other side of the coin is also true. That I believe we are going to not find people in heaven that we would expect to be there. Beloved, because there's only one way for us to be saved. That's by grace through faith in Christ alone. But there are so many people that are trying their own way to get themselves into heaven. That the way that God has prepared, they don't want to take that way. They don't want to follow that. They reject it. It's so heartbreaking. But unfortunately, that's true. Now, I want you to remember. Remember when we did chapter 1? Last week, I also touched on that just again. In chapter 1, the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Uh, he prayed about the resurrection power of God. And he also prayed about the ascension power of God. Eh? The two powers of God, of God that he would like the Ephesian believers to get to know well. So what we see here in verses 6 and 7. He says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We find the resurrection power of God at work and we find the ascension power of God at work. Can you see that? so beautiful that God in his mercy takes sinners saves them well regenerates them makes them brand new creatures in Christ and then he works his amazing ascension power in them to basically seat them in heaven and they're not even, they're not even there yet but we are counted as if we are there already. So his resurrection power basically makes us alive. And his ascension power seats us with Christ in heavenly places. That's amazing. That's where you and I are already. But by faith, no? By faith, we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Absolutely amazing. You see, because of our union with Christ, we enjoy an exalted position together with Him. Unsafe people can't say this. Huh? People who just profess to know Jesus, but they have not been born again, they cannot embrace this they cannot even declare that it's true about them it's only those who have been born again those who have been made alive those who are truly saved they're the only ones who can boldly declare even now while i am on this earth while i am while i am still alive i'm already seated with christ my place has been prepared the only thing that's going to happen and what I'm waiting for is for me to leave this body so that I can be in heaven where I am actually, spiritually speaking, already. Made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death on the cross. Oh, beloved, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So we've seen so far that salvation involves the love of God. It includes God's mercy. 
It also involves being made alive together with Christ and being raised together with Him. And then fifthly, we see our passage tells us that salvation involves the gift of faith. I can actually include, because there's this massive debate, and especially between Armenians and reformers, you know, reformed, uh, is this gift of faith, is, is, it, is that what Paul is speaking about? Is it the gift of faith, or is it the gift of salvation, or is it the gift of grace? What is the gift? Which one of the three? Salvation, grace, or is it faith? Well, beloved, I believe all three is a gift. I can't do anything to earn my salvation. Can I? No. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. How in the world can I earn my salvation? It's not possible. So salvation is obviously a gift from God. For me to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith, is it possible for a dead person to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? No. So, that faith that people receive when God raises them from the dead now, when they become alive, and then they receive the gift of faith so that they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a gift. And the grace, grace that God gives them that they can now inherit eternal life and be with Christ forever and ever and they don't deserve it. It's unmerited. Now, what God gives us, that's also a gift. So I believe with my whole heart that verses 8 and 9, when it speaks about this gift of God, I believe it's speaking about salvation the faith that we have, the saving faith we have in Christ that lasts forever and the grace that God gives us. It's all the gift of God. So listen to verse 8 and 9. It says it's so beautiful. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Beloved, if God did not do what he did, or let's say if God did not save us the way he did, you know how many Christians would walk around boastful? Thinking that they are good enough? Thinking that they've done enough to be saved by God as if God has to save them because they are so cool and they will boast so much in their own goodness. So I believe what God has done, especially here in Ephesians chapter 2, He just knocks that whole idea out of, out of the park. You see, we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and it's a gift that God gives us so that we should not boost boast, not boost so that we should not boast about it so that we should walk around and talk about the greatness and the wonder of God's miracle of salvation rather than walking around and saying how cool we are and let me do a confession this morning if there's one thing that I really, really cannot stand, is when people boast about their salvation. I can't handle it. I've had so many, not debates, fights. I think that would, would be a better description of things that I've had through the years. With people who believe and have this, this, this pride in them, that they have chosen Christ as their Lord and Savior, as if they have saved themselves. So, beloved, I believe, and I, this is how I see the text, is God has given us this amazing gift of salvation. He's given us this amazing gift of grace, His grace. And He gives us the gift of faith so that 
when He regenerates us, when we become alive, né? within the context of Ephesians, when we become alive, when we are alive, what happens is God then gives us that gift of faith so that we can for the first time truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. We can only believe in Him unto salvation because God has given us that gift of faith. And we can only receive the gift of faith because of His gift of grace. And because God decided before the foundation of the earth that salvation is going to be a gift from the triune God to a bunch of undeserving sinners. That was decided before the foundation of the earth. Absolutely amazing. And, and that we saw in, in chapter 1 eh, when we went through verses 1 to 10, 1 to 11. All right, so, so far we've seen that salvation involves the love of God. It includes God's mercy. It also involves being made alive together with Christ and being raised together with Him. And we also see that it involves uh, salvation by grace through faith without any of our own efforts and merit included in that. And then sixthly, salvation involves being created for good works. Oh, and there's so much confusion in the world today. So much confusion. There's so many people. I believe if we had to tell people, for you to be able to be saved, you had to swim through the Atlantic Ocean. Doesn't matter how long it takes you, but you've got to swim right through it. And once you've done that, you have to run all the way back to where you come from. But you're not allowed to go through the sea, obviously, but I mean, on dry land. And if you make it, if you make it, there's a few more obstacles that you have to pass, then you can be saved. I believe there's a lot of people that will try. Because that's how arrogant people are. People are so arrogant that they actually believe that they can save themselves. And that God is just the genie in a bottle. You know, I need salvation, so genie, come, save me. And uh, I need it now. Because life is tough for me now. And I'm going through a hard time now. And I need salvation now, so come. And I feel guilty now, so save me. And there's this arrogance that comes through, and, and it's heartbreaking to hear. But the thing is, the Apostle Paul tells us that we have been, we are God's workmanship, which means God is the one who makes us alive. He is the one who raises us up. And he is the one who causes us to sit, spiritually speaking, in heavenly places. And he's, we are his workmanship. We're not our workmanship. We're not the workmanship of anybody else but Christ. Now, God is the one who has done this amazing work in us. He has made something of us that is beyond our understanding, beyond what the world has ever seen. That's what God has done in the lives of believers when he makes them alive. His workmanship is amazing. And that's why he could say, and that's what God says in his word, that the work that he starts in us, he will finish. He will always finish it. But beloved, when God saves us, he doesn't save us, saves us yeah, he doesn't save us without a purpose. God doesn't do things without a reason. And when it comes to our salvation and the reason that God saved us by grace through faith in Christ alone and that he gives us the gift of salvation, and the reason God does this is because he wanted to create a people for himself that would be amazing in good works. In doing what pleases God. In fact, uh, people that would come to salvation and immediately start asking, 
so Lord, you saved me. What do you want me to do? You see, that's supposed to be the natural outflow of a born-again believer. Not go back and look like the world and live in sin and do all the things they used to do before, but no. What is supposed to happen is a born-again believer, a new believer is supposed to run to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, you have saved me. I'm your workmanship. What do you want me to do? How should I glorify you in and through my life? Because that's what I want to do. And that's what a Christian normally does and goes and does. And as they do it, people look at them and say, something happened in that person's life. There's a massive change that has taken place in that life. You can see this person has, come, has moved from death to life. And I believe this is what the Apostle Paul is speaking about. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 10. That God created us for good works. Look, look, listen to verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, so when did God prepare this? He did it even before he saves us. It's a predetermined thing that God did, huh? Beforehand, he already decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save a bunch of people, and when I save them, they're going to do some amazing work on this earth in line with my will and in line with what I want them to do. And it's going to be amazing because these people are going to do it the way that I want them to do it, not the way that they want to do it. Because they're going to do it in and through the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to put in them so that they can do what I want them to do. That's kind of a paraphrase. I'm trying to explain what I believe this verse implies. What I don't want to do is to go into detail because that I want to do next week, God willing. So the goal of God's workmanship in us, beloved, the fact that He is He makes us a certain way. The goal is for us to do good works. You see, we're not work, like I say, by good works. That he already established. He said, that's nonsense. We cannot be saved by our good works so that we can walk around and boast. Right? That's, not, that's not it. But we are saved. And what will follow in our salvation, what you will see after somebody is saved, you will see good works. It will follow that person's life. It will be visible in that person's life. And it is part of God's predetermined plan. You see, God's plan was not only for us to be saved. Yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing that we are saved. But God's plan has always been to create a people who are diligent in good works, as we read in Second Timothy chapter 11. Titus 2, sorry. Oh, where am I? Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. But let me conclude. Paul tells us that salvation involves the love of God. It also involves being made alive together with Christ. It involves God's mercy. It involves being raised up together with Him. Salvation involves that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and it's a gift of God. He gives us that gift. It's without our own efforts. And God saves sinners by his grace through faith so that they can do the good works which God already predetermined for them to walk in. And, and if you look at all those things, those are all things that are involved in our salvation. And those things need to be visible in the life of a believer for that believer to be able to say, I am saved. Does that make sense?
Beloved, it's by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone that children of wrath becomes children of God. Sons of disobedience can receive the adoption as sons of God and we can be accepted by God. Absolutely amazing. So salvation involves God's great love, His great or rich mercy. It involves God making us alive together with Christ. God raising us up together with Christ and seats us in heavenly places. It involves God creating his own workmanship. And then he is the one who makes us the way that he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do. So I want to close up with this question. And I think you know what it is. If you look at your life, and, and I hope you have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. If you look at your life, can you identify that this has happened in your life? And, and I want you to be clear on this. We are the recipients. We receive. But beloved, you'll know that you received it if you received it. But if you haven't, you'll also know it. So the question is, can you identify these things in your own life? Has God given you the miracle of life? Has he made you alive? As I said in so many times when I was still involved in evangelism, I said to people would come to me and say to me, so what must I do to be saved? Um, I would say to them, Seek the Lord until you find him. You see, we sometimes make it so easy for people. We say to them, come, let's pray. Because it's my opportunity to now lead somebody to Christ. Wow, what a blessing it is. But I think there are times that we should just say to people, listen, seek the Lord. Ask him to save you. If you really want to be saved, run to him. He's the one who can save. And when he saves, he saves. So run to him. Cry out to him. Reach out to him. And once he saves you, you will know that he saved you. And you come back and you tell me that God saved you. There's one man specifically in, in one of the campaigns we had that I can clearly remember because I send him back every single day. And, and at one stage I thought, Whoa, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just sent him back. And it was at the end of the campaign. He came to us and he said, God saved me. And we said, what? What do you mean? He said, God saved me. And I said, so what do you mean he saved you? He said, I was seeking him, and I was seeking him, and he had mercy, and he saved me. And let me tell you, you could see that there was something else in this man. He was saved. So if these things are not in your life, if it's not visible in your life, cry out to God. Seek him. The scripture says, if you seek him, you will find him. Eh? If you knock, it will be opened up. So I'm not saying that you should do something that the scripture says will never work. So seek him. Because if you seek him, you'll find him. Knock, break that door down if you have to. Take his yoke upon you. Cry out to him. Until he saves you. Because when he saves you, you will have a testimony. I have been saved by God.
You will not have reliance on a little sinner's prayer. There was a day in my life when I invited Jesus into my life and he, he made me born again. No, your testimony will be God saved me by his grace. And I know it. And nobody can tell me something else. Why? Because he did it to me. That should be every believer's testimony. I am saved by God. And I know it because he saved me. I know it. He did that miracle in my life. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to come to you this morning. Thank you for Ephesians chapter 2 that, that gives us an explanation of salvation. I think like nowhere else in Scripture. So beautiful. So wonderful to know that salvation is a sovereign work of the Almighty God in our lives and you are the one who does all of this in us. And you even prepared good works for us to do. And you save us and you give us the rebirth. And you enable us to repent. You give us the gift of faith so that we can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And have a testimony of your saving grace in our lives at work. Father, may that be true in each one of our lives. And I pray if there's somebody here this morning that cannot testify that they've experienced this in their life, I pray, Father, please don't allow them to sleep. Let them stay awake and search and seek. Cry out to you. Beg. Whatever. Though we know, Father, you are the one who saves. But I believe that we need to become desperate again. And I pray, Father, that people will desperately start seeking after you, seeking salvation. As we pray in Jesus' name.